Welcome, everyone, as Fantastic Geek Talks Revenge of the Sith. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to bring you the third of a six-film, one-time podcast plan that began with episode one as a Patreon exclusive. Now we're bringing these to everybody. Indeed, Pete. Uh, loving that we get to spend this time post-Andor and pre-Picard slash Mandalorian reflecting on these Star Wars films here. And uh, lately in the news, there has been some uh, some Star Wars info from a different point in the timeline. Yes, the Alkalite is filming in Wales, and uh, there have been a number of photos that have leaked of uh, both recognizable and uh, not so recognizable performers um, that have hit the uh, the internets. Pete, Star Trek has the one with the whales. Now there's Star Wars, the one shot <laughs> in the whales. Uh, it, like George Lucas says, it's poetry talking back and forth to itself across the great stars divide. Just a note here at the top, Matt, regarding our schedule. Uh, we finish up our prequel run here, uh, and then we will be bringing you prior to Christmas on Christmas Eve, the 24th, we will be bringing you our secret invasion introduction this next week, as well as anything that might happen worth us noting in the interim. Uh, we'll be finishing out the calendar year talking about the uh, trailer for Mandalorian Season 3. Uh, and then in the new year, the first three Saturdays, uh, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Uh, as we as we settle into, Pete, the far-off future of 2023. But not before talking about the best of the worst, Matt. The most meme-worthy of the prequels. And also one in which I made international news. <laughs> well, Pete, let's start there. Uh, start with your international news uh, from the uh, weekend of May 15th, 2000, pardon me, May 19th, 2005, when this movie was released in the United States. Yes. Yeah, so I was turning 30 in 2005, uh, having grown up like so many with star wars this was the unofficial end of my childhood and with a number of my colleagues organized a uh, big group i went and bought the tickets for everybody to a midnight show remember, remember midnight shows matt yes midnight sh shows used to happen at midnight now they're called thursday evening shows yeah. and they happen as early as 3 p.m or sometimes noon yeah so buy all the tickets. We all go. It's the first one. They have, you know, an 11.49 and a 11.54. And there were a bunch staggered throughout this Cineplex. Okay. People had shown up several hours before. We went to dinner. We had the tickets. We didn't even to wait in line. And we were ready to go. And midway through the first sequence the first reel uh they're on the invisible hand they're on general grievous's ship okay and we have the nemoidean characters right the trade federation aliens speaking 
all right, after the, the reel had just changed, and they're speaking a foreign language. And it's like, okay, well, they, they didn't have them do that in the other two prequels. Maybe that's a thing they're doing now, okay? And then one of the Jedi is speaking in the other language with no uh, subtitles beneath it. Okay, maybe this is a bit here. And then R2-D2 is speaking in the other language, okay? And now we know something is afoot. This goes on until the ship breaks apart and they're in crash landing until finally the film up and stops. We're, we're laughing at this point, like, all right, they've, they've got another language spliced in to this, uh, this reel. All right. The lights lower into a packed house flanked by two uh, police officers comes the manager who apologizes. Uh, there's another language. It's on the rest of the movie. Uh, all the other tickets are sold. Uh, he cannot accommodate us. That's essentially it. I'm a couple rows back and I ask the only question uh, reasonably, I ask, why didn't you preview this as is industry practice when they receive their reels so that they know that it's all there so that they know it's not, you know, pornography or anything like that before they show it? Um, I get told, I get lied to, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, and then everybody scatters. Okay. Um, my colleagues and I duck into the showing across the hall that's several minutes behind where we had the problem where we have to sit in the first row because no one likes the first row ever with our necks craned, uh, to, to watch this. We finally get to the section where it flipped over to the other language doesn't happen we watched the movie really kind of soured the experience for me though. I remember getting home really upset. Um, and, uh, the next day we made international news with this. It was in the local paper. And from there it went all over the place. It's, uh, I guess if, if nothing else, it's a, a relic from another age. I assume most Big movie theaters now are getting digital prints and so on and so forth. Also, Pete, I know I've been to the movies plenty of times um, before this movie came out and certainly since where, you know, even if I'm there at the midnight show, uh, the the cast member, pardon, you know, the, the, the person taking tickets, the crew member will say, you know, oh, we all had a crew. Don't tell anybody. Yep. We had a, a crew screening last uh -huh. night. Oh, it's, awesome. it's really awesome. Make sure you don't go to the bathroom in the second half or, you know, something like that. You know, especially if it's like nerd to nerd, like here I am in my Star Wars shirt and there you are in your, in your, uh, you know, movie theater outfit, but you got your Star Wars button. It's like, yeah, bro. Thanks for the heads up. Um, so yeah, shame on them for not doing due diligence. Yeah. But, uh, I did not go to work the next day I, it was a planned personal day because 
the practice that I've always had is I'll see a Star Wars movie first for, you know, just the reaction and then go and watch it a, a second time as soon as I can right after, uh, you know, to, to look a little bit more critically. And uh, the rumor quickly spread that I had been arrested for assaulting the police officers. Well, Pete, let's rewind to, to the beginning of the movie. Um, I had said when we uh, had talked about Attack of the Clones last week that I thought Revenge of the Sith was my least watched Star Wars movie. And I can confirm that that is by and large true because there were elements towards the end of this movie where I was like, oh, I remember this from the really great, you know, Lego Star Wars game that came out in the last, uh, you know, in the last year. Uh, and at the time, I remember being like, was this in the movie? But Pete, that's not true of this beginning. This beginning, no joke, since, my goodness, since its early Blu-ray years, since I first moved out of my parents' house, the opening of this movie is my test, the test scene that I do if there's a new TV, if I get a new TV, or if it's, you know, well, how does the new... How does the new Blu-ray player work compared to the old one? Or how does the fire stick work or the this or the that? It's this opening, you know, obviously with the uh, text on screen and your star field and so forth. And then the way that this scene opens mm -hmm. where, you know, one ship, another ship, and then look down further and just realize the biggest battle in the galaxy is happening below our feet. And it's right over over Coruscant and so forth. By the way, Pete, quick tangent. I know many a Star Wars podcasts ago, I had said Coruscant, and you quickly corrected me. And I had wondered in my head, like, where did that mistake come from? Just in the last week, clicking around, I saw that in the um, in the uh, Timothy Zahn trilogy audiobooks, they Thank pronounced you. it Coruscant. Coruscant. So I want to yeah. I want to take back my apology for my mistake. <laughs> it's it's only been a clarification since then. Pete, back in 1990, I want to say three or four when the audiobook came out, it was Coruscant as read by, um, I believe, the Wedge Antilles actor did the first one. Um, so, uh, Pete, I unapologize for that marginal, <laughs> that, that, that mistake that isn't really a mistake. They went and changed culture on me. There you go. Um, this is my favorite opening of the Star Wars films with the, you know, the, the crawl coming down to the war drums and the use of the action oriented force theme and the Jedi fighters in in tandem here into this massive battle. But, you know, just the opening crawl here with war. And there are heroes on both sides, which was later used as a Clone Wars episode title. We're told about the fiendish droid general Grievous, the, the proto-Vader, if you will, uh, with, with the, the cough and the uh, biological components and uh, that Palpatine has been kidnapped, of course, Obi-Wan and Anakin sent to the rescue here. If you're going to do the Clone Wars mostly off screen, uh, this is how you do it, where the fun begins. So much of the prequel trilogy, I think, and we've discussed this in the first two, the first two episodes, um, so much is improved to some degree, large or small, by 
its conversation with the future you know things where you say man i can't believe they opened with like the dumb government can't get stuff done with trade negotiations for the first one and then you kind of look all these years later and go oh my goodness these governments they can't get things done george how did you know just want to point out pete so this opening crawl which again like i have definitely not i suspect i have not seen this movie all the way through since i got the blu-ray and maybe this was the third time ever that i've seen the movie all the way through um it certainly is the first time i've seen it all the way through in forever uh and to, to see that statement on the crawl there are heroes on both sides i was like there's 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 good people on both sides like wait what that's a line that lands just a you know a yeah. tad different in the last five six years it um, does since 2017 um there's also matt a flying toilet in this sequence after the starfighters uh the jedi there kind of turn the corner and now they're heading straight ahead there's a there's a shot where a projectile breaks off and flies like a piece of shrapnel into a Republic ship. And it is confirmed to actually be a toilet. Easter eggs are fun. Pete, is that a real Easter egg? I know we talk on other podcasts when somebody says, I think, oh man, I think that actually qualifies as an Easter egg. Yes. Um, this is a movie that seems to have different, tonal parts to it and the whole beginning of this is so wonderful the action stuff um i don't want to fast forward too much but just the whole the battle on the ship the things that are going to happen there um the weird symmetry pete between the second film in this trilogy that gave christopher lee uh, a meaty supporting role and then he's quickly killed off in the third episode of this trilogy which also happened in a film series that I know you're not familiar with, Pete, it's called The Lord of the Rings. And in it's a similar thing for <laughs> movies two and three uh, there. Uh, at least uh, that's in the extended edition. It's different than the theatrical cut. You see, Pete, special editions are are still a thing. Um, but, I mean, this is just such... Pete, this is... I know this opening bit is maybe 20 or 25 minutes long, but this felt like... At any minute when it's like, oh man, we finally like landed the ship. We did it. And that's when I want to hear like dun 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 the beginning of the Star Wars James Bond theme kind of thing. Because this is like that James Bond pre-credit sequence where we go, oh man, wait, there's more movie. Boom. You know, again, that's not suitable to Star Wars, but it felt like felt like triumphant end to the teaser act. Hit me with a theme song and then let's dive on into mi6 slash you know jedi hq whatever it might be the lead up to the boarding of the invisible hand okay there's the the droid general ship but now we gotta fight our way to it that we introduce oddball and other clone pilots and once the the engagement fully begins and we're shooting at one another uh, one of them blows up and to incorporate so quickly a, a new Battlestar Galactica style shaky cam explosion with the with the clone now blown out of the ship. Um, you know, I, I think they do really good things in this sequence. And again, it's it's clearly the best of the three prequels. So it's it's not even a match it's not even an argument 
um, we finally, Matt, in the three movies, you know, remember how uh, Luke Skywalker's father was the best star pilot in the galaxy? So said his old mentor in the original Star Wars. Hey, we finally get to see him pilot a thing in a in an action sequence. I might disagree as the movie goes on that this is the best of the three, but certainly this is this is a great opening. You're absolutely right. We get to pay off those things in a movie that I'm going to increasingly argue as we go on here in a movie that starts to buckle under the weight of things that need to be paid off. Um, this is great to see. I mean, it's also just great. It's great character stuff. It's not just like, oh, they said a thing and now we're going to link up to it the 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 daring that anakin is using uh you know get rid of the buzz droids and so on and so forth where he's willing to go past the the red line of safety uh time and time again it clearly is setting up things later on where he's you know still willing to go over that line and over that line again uh but here in this in this first bit it's you know demonstrating what a good friend and warrior and pilot he is once they board the invisible hand, of course, making mincemeat of the battle droids here, just Ewan McGregor's glee at springing the trap. Time time to do that. The first tonal shift you talk about, these elevator hijinks uh, as they swing lightsabers in ridiculous close range of one another, but don't hack each other up there's that there is pete let's talk about the great the great pain that was felt by stars war fans or maybe even star wars fans uh in this scene uh in this portion of the story i'm talking about pete didn't you always know that R2-D2 had rocket boots that let him fly around to do all sorts of really cool things. Fine. I know, Pete, you're going to tell me, uh, according to Wikipedia, the parts for that thing then went bad and couldn't ever be replaced again, which neatly solves why we never saw it in chronologically later stories. But uh, What about Attack of the Clones, where he uses it? Well, but here it's more flourish and more save the day kind of stuff to me this was more eye roll than like oh it's a way to, to get him to move around the the whole sequence you know them going up the elevator the battle droids the super battle droids coming out and inspecting the ship and then finding him and he's got to get out of the jam himself it's just a little too comical for what immediately comes after they find the chancellor Hey, all right, we're going to take him on. We're going to duel. Christopher Lee comes out and then his awful digital double that does a flip off that looks like a wash wash rag, Um, you know, as Obi-Wan is professing to the chancellor that Sith Lords are their speciality after they had their butts kicked by him on Geonosis. There's also... And this is true, certainly, of the previous movie as well. But there's kind of the... um, You can see George's desire to continue to show the progress of Palpatine getting his hooks into Anakin. And, you know, like, oh, man, Obi-Wan's over there. 
hey, let me tell you some stuff or let me plant some seeds in your head. You know, oh no, Obi-Wan's back. Like on the one hand, we, the audience are in on it, but it's also, I don't know, like perhaps, like I had said last week, perhaps with, uh, with another hand on the script here that this this entirely written by uh you know by just george like there's kind of no where's the mastermind there's not kind of the mastermind um in anakin's head sort of thing coming from palpatine it's just he's saying the he's saying things that clearly are things to act on the surface to get under anakin's skin I don't know. There's a certain lack of nuance, I suppose. That's that, that's what I'm trying to say. The duel we come to expect here, um, and it's logical. It makes sense. Let's let's have a rematch of what took place before. Now Palpatine, that we all know is the uh, Sith Lord, is is viewing this um, and able to use that down the road, both immediately and you know, later in the film, but the, the throwing of Obi-Wan, uh, the, uh, trapping of him under a, uh, catwalk that's pulled down by Count Dooku, the, the physics of it are just, they, they were lousy then they're lousier now. So you heard it here first folks, Pete, pleading pleading with lucasfilm do the revenge of the sith special edition <laughs> pete thankfully george's so these films have been revised from the time they were in theaters to when they hit dvd to when they hit blu-ray there have been changes they've just never done a special edition phantom menace was the only one that got released in 2012 in 3d it did so poorly they scrapped the 3D. Uh, remember 3D, Matt? Remember <laughs> Avatar making that a, a thing and maybe making it a thing again? Um, yeah, that that got scrapped. Uh, all I know is this, Pete. George Walton Lucas Jr., 78 years young, but time time moves on for us all. Now is the time to do the prequel special edition. I'm actually... How about this way, Pete? I'm like a third serious. Like, would I would I click on the thing? Like, you know, here's by the way, Pete, what Disney Plus calls Star Wars Revenge of the Sith episode three. So there's that, but that's I think just a presentation issue, not a not a you know a creative decision there. But would I be interested to click on then like the extras and then be like, here's the special George Lucas special edition? Like, would I check it out in a heartbeat? Um, oh, yeah. uh, Pete, speaking of heartbeats, okay, Anakin's love, his heart, uh, Padme, of course, reveals that uh, there is within her, get ready for it, Pete, she is pregnant with a baby. That's right, everyone at home. It's just a baby that she's pregnant with uh, because none of you know how this is going to end up. <laughs> this coming after the rescue and all the craziness that continues on the ship there, the, the crash landing, um, the decapitation of Count Dooku, uh, really interesting choice. 
they're cementing the bond between Palpatine and Anakin. But, you know, remember what you told me about the sand people and you hear the the shout faintly. Um, so he's confided in him there. Um, one of my biggest issues with Attack of the Clones does surface in this film. The third uh, use of the same exact musical piece. I'm not talking about, you know, revisiting a theme, Matt. I'm talking about literally using the same recording for a third straight film when uh, the ship goes vertical there uh, when they're before they start to fully crash. They use the episode one music from when the queen starship is running the the blockade to go to Tatooine, which they also use in attack of the clones when the, uh, when the clones attack, um, you mentioned the, um, the deleted scenes before, uh, the, the character, um, shock T perhaps you're familiar with the Togruto. Uh, character much like a uh, Ahsoka Tano. Uh, certainly, I'm aware of the. I, I must confess, Pete, I did not know the character's name, but certainly aware of their on-screen presence. Sure. Uh, that uh, had two scripted deaths in this film uh, that were filmed that are extras, but didn't get in there. First uh, executed by uh, General Grievous. Um, and then later they did a Jedi temple, uh, death scene with order 66 and, uh, they excised that, um, that half of the ship falls off. And then we reuse the, uh, episode one droid ship. Now this is pod racing music lifted, not, you know, Hey, this is, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Williams, baby, gonna gonna play you one of my greatest hits. No, they take it right from that movie and play it again. There was a lot of re-editing of this sequence, it appears, to the point where original music of it, you know, stops at a point. But as you said, we we get to this glorious day with the politicians that Anakin Anakin has won as a result of his heroics. We have the Lu Lucas daughters show up there as extras along with uh, Lucasfilm, ILM, longtime uh, effects guy, John Knoll. He, who got a partial story credit for Rogue One, credited with uh, that idea. Hey, why don't we do the, uh, the Death Star plant story? And Padme with her Princess Leia haircut. Pregnancy mat in the Star Wars universe, coded under something wonderful has happened. Uh, and, you know, much of my um, commentary on that that I've referenced in, in the last podcast and so forth uh, comes from this great uh, article that made the rounds on Vice. Uh, it's from January 2017 by Sarah Jung. Uh, headline, Did Inadequate Women's Healthcare Destroy Star Wars Old Republic? And it is, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a cheeky headline, but basically it is a... I think a very fair look to say some of these some of these issues that are coming from George's George's male point of view that that one would think um, 
you know, maybe another pair of eyes would have said, hey, let's incorporate some more things there. Pete, again, with this conversation. So first of all, hey, folks, check out that article. It's, a, it, it's an interesting read. It's Again, it's not overly critical. It's just saying here, frankly, is a blind spot to the storytelling. And that's interesting how that um, how that impacts, you know, how that plays a relationship with the overall story. Pete, I will say, as we start to enter your your question here about, you know, a wonderful thing has happened for for reasons that who really knows? I don't really know. Um, Pete, I will ask again now under this context of sometimes Star Wars speaking to the future that it did not know about. Pete, can we really imagine an advanced society, an advanced democracy such as this Galactic Republic uh, that that somehow does not have adequate women's health care that might take away women's health care? Pete, what kind of republic would do that? It's such crazy fiction, isn't it? So let's head to the sinkhole planet of Utapau, Matt, <laughs> where the separatists, uh, the, the patsies set up by Palpatine here uh, with General Grievous are hiding out uh, because they're going to be moved from there to Mustafar. Pete, I love the setting of Utapau. Oh, I love the design of it. I, I, I think I think that is true to say of what we see in the movie. I also, uh, Pete, I've spent some time there that in uh, some of the Star Wars games, including um, what's the shoot 'em up Star Wars game where you battle Battlefront, what, Battlefront, the original Star Wars Battlefront and Battlefront 2 um, for the original Xbox. A lot of, lot of blood in the mud here in Utapau. A lot of times going to this corner and that corner, um, which is interesting. That's true of a number of the locations here where. Uh, Pete, if we may, just for the briefest of moments, fast forward to uh, whatever. What's the uh, the green verdant planet during Order sixty six? Which one? There's a uh, couple. The Pete, the one where the the Jedi lady who's unencumbered by too much clothing, uh, where she gets downed by the clone troopers. Oh, Ayla Secura. Uh, yes, that is uh, Felucia. So again, same thing. I spent a lot of time, Pete, losing losing a lot of good good guys on Felucia. Same thing with the. Uh, you really only lost one guy again and again. He's a clone, Matt. That that's true. Um, ditto for the uh, for the the dock that's at the uh, that goes into the water on Kashyyyk and so forth. So again, looking at Utapau, and like with a lot of people of a lot of different generations, you know, maybe your best Star Wars adventures were in 1984 with your action figures in the sandbox out back maybe that was the most meaningful star wars story um for you or maybe that was almost as good as you know the attack on jabba's palace and etc etc whatever that might be throughout the ages again for me the minute they're going to utapau here it's like i know this place i've been to the corners i've been you know and i think that speaks to something uniquely star wars where because traditionally for so long you had only three movies, only six movies, you know, and so forth before the real, let's say clone wars, TV show era explosion, because so much was, you know, novels, comic books, video games, action figures. It was things that you were interacting with on a one-to-one -one basis, not the, you know, Hey, we went to see the movie last night together. Um, in a weird way, it makes these places more special, even though Pete, you weren't there. Nobody else was there that time on Kashyyyk 
where I kept getting hit by the sniper, and I figured out that they were in the bunker on the rock ridge, and I got them from the the thing on the dock. You know, like that's my own adventure that nobody else owns, but it's my Star Wars adventure. There's no question the design of the prequels is amongst the highest highs. Doug Chong and you know the design people did an outstanding job you know you watch the feature length documentaries that are accompanied with each of these releases and you see how it is go draw a bunch of stuff oh there's going to be this character and they're going to lay these out in front of george and he's going to say okay this character this drawing here is this character and this one give him horns and he's going to be this um but he really does get the most out of the design aspect of it but undercuts himself matt because we move back to coruscant and uh padme's combing her hair and you know only because she's so in love and i'm blinded by george's bad dialogue it is incredible how Queen Amidala starts the trilogy. I mean, yes, the, the character is young. Yes, the actress is young. But at this position of highest power, right? You know, the queen of the planet and so forth. And then, yes, we 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 had some fun discussing the, you know, the decision in uh, episode two. You know, oh, no, my shirt has become torn. Okay, fine. It is what it is and so forth. And then to get to here, and Pete, this is not to take away from you know, a dedicated wife or a prospective mother and, and, and particularly areas that, you know, that, that you and I, uh, you know, don't have insight into, but this is a character, as you say, Pete, spends most of the movie brushing her hair or furtively looking out the window with tears in her eyes, or, you know, spoiler alert is really sad. So she dies like this, is this is our, you know, princess Leia's mother you know princess leia who pete even when she's put in a metal bikini guess what she's ready to choke the ever-living you know what at a job of the hut to attack her attacker etc never is she down you know or she might be down she's never out and instead here we have padme i'm just watching this going oh my goodness we're even closer to when to when natalie portman is going to win an oscar and she's being given so little irrespective of the dialogue which still is not great I mean, listen, Padme as a character, queen turned senator, goes on these adventures, you know, the the strength that she's shown, uh, you know, she is a favorite of a lot of people. I just feel like one of the overarching weaknesses of the prequels is that Lucas essentially has one movie of story across a trilogy. There's not a lot here. Um, we had Anakin have unseen nightmares, you know, wake up from them in the previous film. This, the first nightmare ever glimpsed a flash forward, uh, in this film. And then to discuss it with Padme and, and set up beyond the relationship with Palpatine, the seeds of his downfall, I do like that the the sentimentality of the the first gift Anakin ever gave her all those years before in episode one, that Chapur snippet, which later will be on her corpse 
at her funeral. Um, and even the mention, Matt, you talked about the, uh, you know, the healthcare in the Star Wars universe, um, talking about, well, I doubt the queen will allow me to still serve in the Senate uh, because I'm having babies. Wait, Mon Mothma says what? You know, again, I I think there's there's a limit to how critical you can be about George Lucas and his views. I, I think I don't think he's bringing a conscious sexism to this, but it's just it's the least it's the least well aged part of the trilogy. And again, you know, written by George Lucas. I know that that was not the case. Um, with the, I think there was a co-writer on the last movie. Like, just where's and I know also too, the written by credit does not mean, you know, that 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 no one else had their hand on the story at all. Of course, there was a lot of people involved in in a lot of ways. You can throw out an idea. Um, I think Pete, you know, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. It was like the VFX supervisor was like, "Hey, what if what if there was a thing that remade planets?" Boom! The whole movie's right there in the Genesis device. Everything that everything that's great about that movie is made possible uh as a conduit through some way of the genesis device and all that but i don't know there's just you know pete it like everybody knows there's producer rick mccallum saying george you're brilliant it's brilliant it's brilliant it's brilliant there's no other voice saying you know whether it's from no on this trilogy and it it does i mean it impacts this film the least for me and, and i i think overall um, you know, back to the Jedi here, Yoda seems to know about Anakin and Padme the same way we believe that Obi-Wan does. Um, and Anakin's late for this briefing where, uh, Obi-Wan mentions Master Voss, something they recently followed up with on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on, on Disney plus Quinlan. Uh, had gone through the the safe house that Obi-Wan was hiding out in. Um, But back to the tonal differences, not even tone, there are a bunch of strange scene openers in this film. You know, the the criticism on the first two movies, oh, you know, it's another meeting scene. And um, Anakin and Obi-Wan are walking in his office you know like you do uh but we have the middle the beginning of the conversation at the scene which you're never ever supposed to do that he's now going to be his personal representative on the council the eyes the ears of the republic and again there's this there's this balance here where that is that is interesting you know all it's interesting by itself and it's an interesting discussion to have this whole, you know, fading of the Republic, fading of democracy. All of that is mixed in here. I just don't know how well it works. Like, does the council not, if the council is separate from the political situation, then can't the council, can't the council reject him? Okay, well, the story doesn't go that way in part because the story needs him around. Okay, fine. And it, we get some good story juice out of, you know, 
you'll be the representative, but you know, the title of Jedi Master you will not be given. That's good that's good stuff. That's a good workaround for the council that is suspicious of Palpatine and uh you know is pushing back. But it, it, again, it's kind of this well while on the one hand I don't want like Star Wars, the three branches of government illustration scene, it's kind of like, well, how does all of this I I need to pedal faster to keep track of how this is supposed to work since we're being told that right now it's not working the way it's supposed to. But what's the mechanism where you're allowed to do it, which is a question I'm going to have again in a little bit in a scene where I would kind of try to objectively argue that the Jedi Council is overstepping itself with Palpatine. But we can talk about that when we get there. Are you referring to this hologram Zoom meeting where, hey, uh, Jedi Master Kiadi Mundi, we leave your chair open and you are fighting elsewhere and you're going to sit down and you will film yourself sitting in a chair so you can be in a chair with us. Um, no, and you know what? I like that as a Star Wars conceit. Now, if you're telling me, Pete, that he's supposed to be literally in the middle of a battle as opposed to like in the war room and it's hey, Coruscant is calling, okay, I need to step away. That's slightly different. But I do like the Star Wars conceit that, I don't know whether we're supposed to imagine, like, because what's he looking at? Again, all the eye lines always work and so forth. It's similar to the Universal Translator on Star Trek, where, fine, I understand that what they're saying is what they're saying, but then their mouths wouldn't be the same because it's translating. It's one of those things where you just kind of go, oh, this is cool sci-fi, and it's reminding me that it's sci-fi, I'm okay with all of that. I'm okay with how they do the holographic stuff. Unless, as you're saying, Pete, he's literally in the midst of like, hold on, must wave a lightsaber. Okay, let me sit down. Now let me get up again and fight. Unless it's short of that, I like what they do here. So with all this tension between the Jedi Council and Obi-Wan's mentor of Palpatine and then his you know, true mentor of Obi-Wan the prophecy of what Anakin could be as the chosen one. He's the youngest ever on the council, but not a master. How, how can you do this to me? And Anakin is summoned to this artistic performance <laughs> uh, where we see George Lucas as Baron Papanoida in his cameo here with the, the blue skin of Pantoran. Um, and we've got the private box of the Palpatine, uh, you know, regime. He sends everybody out, Slymore, uh, you know, Masameta, his, his uh, you know, underlings here. And we get the master manipulator telling a Jedi the tragedy of Darth Plagueis, the wise Sith legend. Pete, you sound a little down on this scene. Everything works for me in this scene. I like that it's weird, alien. I mean, you know, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. I guess it's supposed to be a box at the opera, but there's it's gravity, water, sphere. Like, whatever it is to me, it's sufficiently alien in Star Wars. Also, like, the, vaguely the way it's set up, it does seem conducive to we go to the theater, but we keep talking politics. Like there's that aspect of like, we're out to dinner and we're actually doing a deal over there. Um, I think we are seeing the, um, 
I'll say the, 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 the power seduction, not a romantic seduction, seduction, the power seduction, um, from Palpatine. I think that it's all effectively presented here. I like that the, the presentation of the thing that they're seeing kind of comes with its own weird ethereal, you know, like, I don't know what's going on music. And that that's fitting the scene there. Um, and again, this is another scene where it's like, I know we know Palpatine is up to no good, but like, do kids know, like, is it a little too subtle? Like he's master manipulator, but also not, I, I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like, I feel like we like Palpatine a lot. Again, there's something slightly, there's something that's maybe not quite, you know, the West Wing enough. There's not quite as much you know, politics or power seduction, dark politics, whatever you want to call it. It's like both there and not fully there for me, even in this scene where it's clear to us, like, this is an interesting story. And Anakin has foreseen Padme's death. And this is valuable information to prevent people from yeah. dying. It, all the pieces are there, but it's not quite it's not quite gelling. We've seen now with Andor that Star Wars can handle intrigue that doesn't need to fully spell it out. Is that Star Wars that kids could handle? This is a PG-13, the, the first PG-13 Star Wars movie, obviously, because of the, the violence towards the end of the film, the intensity of that. Um, this is good stuff. I, I like the the Fox uh, at the opera discussion here. Um, I mean, it, it poses an intriguing question given what we find out about Darth Plagueis. And I later read that novel that's now been, you know, pushed over to the, to the legends, uh, portion of the canon. Um, but there is at least an implication given that Plagueis could create life that he and or Palpatine uh you know had a hand in the virgin birth of anakin i agree that that is kind of on the table as a theory and also vaguely suggested perhaps Pete, that's another example of something where i would have liked it i mean we say it all the time one more line like where was the line especially you know ian mcdermott is so good he's so deliciously evil you can fully i would argue too good at times for everything that he's given uh and maybe sometimes opposite some of the people that he's acting against <laughs> and um, then of course there's the goofy faces that if you freeze yeah. frames particularly from this film <laughs> yeah but like again to just have something i mean oh maybe even the power to create life oh that's interesting uh, how about the power to create life in the most unexpected of places or the most <laughs> I'll do a bad you know, in, in the farthest backwater planet. Again, we can workshop that line, make it a little better, but something where we at home go, Oh, you have just committed to this to us at home, even though you're kind of keeping in the shadows to Anakin, who is dealing with a whole lot of emotions right now. And he's going to miss the red flag that you just said, the powers of Darth Plagueis as used by Darth Plagueis or Palpatine, you did this instead we just kind of say maybe that's a thing that's out there and i don't think i don't think that that works for the story again to sit and say 
you know, to create life in the most, in the farthest reaches of the galaxy. That's when you go, boom, full circle there. He's bad dad, as opposed to he's kind of a guy who's bad, you know, like, where's that clarity, George? Where's that clarity? I I like the lack of clarity there that it's open-ended. We, we fault these films for being made to be too tiny of a galaxy that, you know, everybody's related to one another and Darth Vader made C-3PO as a project and everything like that. So for us to go to Kashyyyk here, long overdue, Matt, the original plan for return of the Jedi to get the the basketball players that George recruits here to to be a bunch of Wookiees when he couldn't get enough tall people. That's why he went with little people for Ewoks. Chewie appears here for the first time sequentially with uh, Captain Tarful, the other uh, Wookiee in command. Are you aware of the plan for Han Solo in this sequence? Oh, uh, I have the faintest of memories, perhaps, perhaps my own dreams through the force. I mean, my recollection is this kid Han Solo fighting the fighting. And let's see, I'll just infer whether this is a memory or false memory, uh, saving Chewbacca, thus life, uh, the life debt that Chewbacca has. How, how, how am I doing? One. There is art, and apparently there was a plan for, and somebody said no, or he decided against it. They were going to have uh, a, uh, a adopted dirty child, um, you know, uh, Han Solo, uh, around uh, Chewbacca, and they, for whatever reason, didn't do it. Thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody loves Chewbacca, okay? One of my personal, most special Star Wars memories. I guess I, I, I feel like I want to couch it somehow, but I think that's just emotionally true, you know? Uh, meeting Chewbacca at uh, at, at uh, Disney World, and you know, there the door opens, and Pete, part of me knows it's a guy in a suit, okay? But when... Chewbacca held out his arms and I hugged Chewbacca and the photographer took pictures like that's a that's me meeting Chewbacca there's a certain portion of my brain where that was unfettered from the truth of reality and that was just that was just I met Chewbacca that kind of thing I had the exact same thing happen with Mary Poppins by the way it was the real Mary Poppins don't tell me otherwise um so like I love Chewbacca I've hugged Chewbacca Pete it's a great memory do we need to sit and go you know, hashtag Chewbacca origin story. Boom. <laughs> there we go. You know, like just as it was like C-3PO origin story. Papa. And oh man, who's the best little droid to save the day when we're trying to leave uh, the planet in episode one. Boom. R2 origin story. Like, do we need Chewbacca here as like, you know, fine. Captain Tarfels is a captain and not a general. I don't know how their structure works, but seems like Jedi Master Yoda here knows tarfuls and you know it seems like jedi master yoda in happier times would go to kashik and be like tarfuls chewbacca play cards we will drink drinks we will like that's that's his homeboys on kashik okay what Good a small world with the wookies he has y- yeah because we want to 
because George wants to do the Revenge of the, uh, or pardon me, the Return of the Jedi, Chewbacca thing, Wookiee thing. Now we're putting it in Revenge. Okay, fine. That's all great. Do, you know, do we need the Chewbacca moment? Uh, I would say no. Even having hugged the guy, the Chancellor's plans become apparent for us. Can you just repeat setting... what his title is right now, Pete? Because we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. What's his official title? Supreme Chancellor. Okay, thank you. Let, we'll just stick a pin in that for for now. Please continue. The plans become apparent for us by recommending that Anakin go to the council and the tension there, knowing they'd never send Anakin with Obi-Wan here once they've located General Grievous and handed that intel over. Of course, Palpatine got that intel for himself. <laughs> um, but to split the brothers up here, we have the scene where they say goodbye for the last time as friends, and it's just murdered by dialogue like, Anakin, I have trained you since you were a small boy. Like, <laughs> what, did Anakin not remember? Um, let's now proceed to, if we may, to there's officially trouble afoot, and Mace Windu, um, Mace Windu is told that Palpatine is the Sith Lord, and Mace Windu says, we must go arrest oh, him. After Anakin leaves him in his office? <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's question number one. And Pete, look, I'm as concerned as anybody about, you know, uh, a democratic republic being turned into uh, an empire and the worst case scenario for that and so forth. Can you just tell me within the Star Wars universe, what's the mechanism by which the Jedi Order which is, as near as I can tell, not politically aligned to the Senate, which is, you know, this single branch uh, uh, government that they have. The Jedi Order is not, is, is, has relationships, but is not part of the government. Who says it's up to Mace Windu with his Jedi badge, metaphorically? Why is he the one to go arrest? Like, I understand it would be boring to be like, and I'm going to go tell the you know, inspector general, and they're going to go to the courts. And I also understand too, you know, Palpatine is the Senate. He is the courts, but it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, frankly, Pete, it's a little bit too fast that Mace Windu is like, I will march from here to there and I will knock down the doors and I will attack. And again, maybe this is with 2022 eyes and the notion that maybe not everybody is always a Mace Windu when they go to the, the place where all the elected people are and knock down doors to arrest people. Maybe I'm being overly sensitive to that, but I'm certainly not trying to be tongue in cheek. I'm asking, Hey movie, who says Mace Windu can go do this because it felt, it felt a little presumptuous on Mace Windu's part. It is a difficult line to walk. Listen, we grew up with the original trilogy and now we're adults seeing this one. You know, beyond my criticism that Anakin would just leave the greatest flight risk in the galaxy to go pull the Jedi aside in a hangar. Hey, can we talk? Yeah, the, the Sith Lord that's menaced us for three movies and, you know, all of my time as a Jedi. I, I just met him and he's the Chancellor. Um, it, it's still at the end of the day has to be a film for children as well but it, it is an overreach i think it plays into 
Anakin's personal stakes of they're going to lock him up and he won't give me the the secret, the secret that he's lied about, by the way. O- only one has mastered. He'll he'll make clear once he's disfigured or actually reverts, I like to believe, more to his his actual form. Um, but damn if this I am the Senate uh, scene where um, four Jedi come in um, that stand there, three of which to get slaughtered uh, with a horrendous digital face on Ian McDermott at times here. Uh, one of the things you can also glimpse if you're eagle eyed enough. So this scene went through a number of uh, variations. At one point, Anakin was to be there when the lightsabers clashed. Um, there's several times you can see that Palpatine is holding Anakin's lightsaber hilt and not his own um, gold one. Um, that he would have taken it from Anakin that he wasn't armed himself. Um, but ultimately winding in front of this, uh, window, Anakin runs up after he's kind of had this, I guess, telepathic conversation with Palpatine before he's, he's been arrested and this power to cheat death that only one's achieved. And again, you know, you've you've got all the Shakespearean type of stuff and you just bungle it under language like my master. Look, I'm certainly sympathetic to the notion that these, you know, these premiere dates get picked years and years out and they're given three years between movies, which is, you know, by all accounts should be plenty, so on and so forth. But then all of a sudden it's not. And George isn't writing as fast. as You know, I understand that. I understand that any film is going through changes as it's being made. And we, we must not lose sight of that. You know, unlike saying, hey, here's the book which we are adapting and you can freely adapt to do more, to do, you know, whatever it is, this is our unchanging foundation. Uh, I'm sympathetic to all that, but it just seems like from a production, again, you know, written by, directed by uh, George Lucas, fine, Rick Rick McCallum, the ultimate uh, enabler, is the, you know, gets the producer credit, but kind of, at what point are there so many changes being made that it starts to add up and add up and add up? And I think that you're starting to suggest that, Okay, fine. Continuity stuff. All right, that's one level of sin. I have to admit, you know, did, did I notice the hilts? No. Um, did it strike my eyes a little weird? Actually, maybe it's this scene, or maybe it's when Palpatine. There are action figures that have Anakin's hilt with the Emperor in in this outfit. Okay. So it it clearly went to a production standpoint. I mean, now what what they do you know, as a safeguard, uh, but actually backs up production. You know, the, the most famous example, of course, being baby Yoda, Grogu, you know, you couldn't get anything that first Christmas right after he came out because nobody had seen him. 
Um, but yeah, that it further cements that the sequence changed so much. Um, I I do like the the touch of evil type of vibe that they go with before he fully uh, orders Order sixty six, if I can say that. <laughs> um, and to have all these Jedi in disparate locations on the fronts suddenly get turned on it it's tragic it's powerful you know obi-wan and kiati mundi with the galactic marines there and you mentioned ayla secura before on felucia that i i kind of dig how the the fungi above covers you know seeing the the slaughter it's artistically done plo Koon, uh dave filoni's favorite the jedi with the respirator on uh kato nemoidia shot down there salakamai with stasily on the speeder and even yoda on kashik with uh general gree who takes a shot at him and he beheads him and another clone and then climbs up chewbacca to get away yeah it's a great it's a great montage i actually think pete the um I think the Ayla Secura, uh, the way the leaves are used in that scene, I, th- I have floating around in my head and not in front of me on on the screen here. I think that was a uh, a um, Steven Spielberg note, like you know, show a little, show a little less, let it be the the tragedy increases if you don't see each and every single person, you know, consumed by fire, you know, uh, and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great emotional moment in part because we can see that the Jedi who we've been told for the last two movies, protectors of the peace, not, uh, not in a position to run widespread security, a la a police force, not in a position to run a widespread, uh, war, at least not in a, in a, you know, kind of, uh, executive capacity, hence the, the, the clone troopers and so forth, that here they are being overrun um, so there's a tragedy to it that with, you know, the, the move from, uh, Republic to empire. I know we're, we're not quite yet at the scene of the, the iconic line here and so forth, but I mean, it clearly, this is where knowledge of the movies to come, I think is, is working with the story and not against it. Um, because it's filling in, you know, how does a Republic become an empire? And we're seeing that pivot point right now. The Jedi Temple interior there, the council chamber where the younglings are hanging out and Anakin shows up, you know, they ask him for help and he ignites the lightsaber. That That's best left on scene. Um, it, it's space 9-11, Matt, with the smoke coming from the Jedi Temple when Bail Organa, you know, drives up and. He's not allowed to go because of the 501st Legion clones blocking him. And then uh, I think it's time for you to leave, they say. Yeah. George Lucas's son, Zet Jukasa, uh, who appeared briefly in Attack of the Clones, you know, puts up a fight and is murdered in front of Bale. Emotionally, it's it's resonating to cut back to Yoda's drama on Kashyyyk here that, that Wookiees, Matt, Wookiees are dead. These proto 
chicken walkers, you know, one man walkers, the clones hunting them down on that. And even, you know, an homage to E.T. where Yoda gets in the little capsule to, to head out. Yeah, definitely, definitely an effective scene here. Uh, we also have uh, Anakin turned Vader uh, headed to Mustafar. Uh, Great location. A, oh, fantastic location. And one that throughout the variety of scenes that it's used uh, with in this movie always looks fantastic. There's nothing, Pete. When we have George Lucas do the special edition for Re- Revenge of the Sith, you don't need to touch the effects. Like the effects are done. Those are those are truly uh, done. There's some there's some background that's in focus, while foreground is also in focus a couple times. Uh, I think George would say that's on purpose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just just also an emotionally effective scene in terms of. Of course, he's going there to take out the the separatists because we've had, again, something that I think is very obvious to concerted adult viewers who are keeping track of the plot across three films. Maybe not as clear if you're like, hey, I really enjoyed seeing the last Star Wars movie three years ago. And then I like watched it on DVD at somebody's house, but maybe you don't have it all memorized. This notion that the separatists and uh, we'll say Senate trouble... Uh, or or republic trouble, however you want it, political trouble, separate from the separatists, if I can use the word separate twice in one sentence, but kind of the, the, the civil war and the war on the Capitol, the war in the Capitol, both of those opposite sides are being manipulated by Palpatine. That's a great story detail. And it, again, it's clear I there. I think he always had that. That's where I, I feel the, the one film of content across three, you know, he, he stretches enough of that, the long game of I'm going to set up this protracted conflict and take advantage of it and, and fly beneath the Jedi radar. That does work. Um, there's a great Easter egg, Matt, uh, Boba Fett actor, Jeremy Bullock is the pilot of uh, Bail Organa's ship as they head back to Coruscant there, receives the message from the chancellor's, uh, you know, underling that they're going to have this special session that might be the trap. This is while Darth Vader is uh, getting out of his ship on Mustafar to take care of, great use of, the, the subtext, the, the separatists. And uh, they forgot that day to put the glove on Hayden Christensen. So he has his right hand back when he puts his uh, hood up. Oof. I did not notice that. How do you not um, remember to put the glove on? Uh, listen, Here's I completely agree. Person. I mean, come on. The continuity person, the costume person. I would add to that, Pete. The I mean, actor. well, that, that that's just it. I'm reminded, that, you know, back in the early, back when uh, Ron Moore was doing his Battlestar Galactica uh, podcast with each episode, he made a comment I've never forgotten, which is, you know, people people other than the actors, which is say, you know, the writers, producers, as people sit and go, oh man, great 
great uh, you know writer retreat that we did where we've come up with all these ideas and other the it's easy to lose track of character details you need to rely on the actors you need to be open enough so when the actor comes and says you know i don't know if this is something that my character would do don't just blow them off because you know you have a great plan hear what they have to say because all they do is keep track of their character all they do is sit and go all right man you're giving me oh it's three years later and he's really sad i'm going to imagine that's because his dad died you know whatever it is all these actors do is live from the perspective of the character so i would completely agree pete Hey, Hayden Christensen, you're not filming these movies back to back to back, and you're not in a situation where it's like yesterday you did pickups for Phantom Menace, and today you're doing Revenge of the Sith, and literally tomorrow you're doing uh, some Attack of the Clones stuff. All you're doing is making Revenge of the Sith in a post-I-got-my-hand-cut-off thing. When you step out of that trailer, you got to make sure your glove is with you. There's no excuse. You're in charge of your character. George is allowed to... (laughs) lose track of things i'll even give the pass you know there's a continuity person it's their entire job to do it guess what pete everybody makes mistakes everybody makes mistakes on the job you know what if that continuity person has a 99 percent success rate for their entire career but they forgot the glove that day because they're making sure that the the birthday card to grandma got in the mail or whatever that's cool that's fine mistakes happen okay goofs happen it's his new sith power that he can regrow his hands and and then put the glove back on maybe yeah um, meanwhile, Obi-Wan and Yoda starting to put the pieces together here. Oh, this, this youngling was killed by a lightsaber. Who, who, who could it have been? Asks Obi-Wan. And then watching the security co- recordings that only pain will be brought from killing younglings, which again you want to call the the little jedi younglings i get it is it a bridge too far padme i saw him kill children he killed children it it just seems a little too melodramatic and not dramatic enough um when you've got that to use and then as you were alluding to here to to go to the senate this first galactic empire announced in, in the midst of the slaughter intercut of the separatists that 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 threat's now been dealt with and taken care of how, how does how do we have a, a safe and secure society Matt, with our new empire how, how does it happen uh with thunderous applause so that's a great line that again that's like george speaking to the future a little bit less of the future because he's making this in a post 9 11 you know uh prep for iraq war iraq war type thing so it's a little bit more eyes eyes looking forward than you might i mean here's my point george is looking at the present time and that's what that line is speaking about criticizing another george w that's that's true um I would say, Pete, so as you said, as you said, though we have recapped the watching the footage scene separate from the, you know, the first Galactic Empire scene, there's a little bit of intercutting there. Pete, I would like to tell you that this is also in that watch the footage scene. uh, That is where Obi-Wan refers to Palpatine as the Emperor if at best, I, I will say it does occur in our viewing, it occurs after the first galactic empire has, that has been uttered, but 
if it's intercut, <laughs> well, that's just it. If it's intercut, the implication being it's happening at the same time, nobody's calling him the emperor there. Indeed, right. there are subsequent scenes where he's still being called the chancellor. So, you know, again, whether you want to lay this at the feet of the director or the writer, same guy, or the producer, ostensibly Rick McCallum, although I suspect he's more a, uh, he was more a logistic producer than a creative yes, producer. Um, hype man yeah hype man exactly like mistakes were made was mistakes were made i think rick mccallum has since said they have 1138 live action scripts for the the first star wars tv show regardless okay look the whole this is how democracies die with thunderous applause the line is great the GIF GIF is great. I did feel like, once again, and is this a Natalie Portman problem or a script problem? Oh, it's a good line. Or is it a director problem? Maybe it's a director problem since she's five years, six years away from winning an Oscar from this. But it's kind of, I felt, I'm watching this going, here's the line, here's the line. It's flat. And it's like, here's our democracies die with thunder. And it's like, why is someone not saying, Natalie, that was beautiful. Now give us the frog in your throat version. Now give us the steely result. Like, where's the variety to pull from? Pete, um, I'll ask the question now just for the sake of saving it later. Same thing with the, you know, I hate you line towards the end. Christensen goes, I hate you. Like, there's the boyish voice crack. Oh, he is on fire. <laughs> he, he is on fire. Look, hey, Hayden, we're feeling the moment here. That's beautiful. Now give us. And this is something I'd said in the last podcast. Give us kind of like the more manly, you know, like Pete, how would John Wayne on fire say it? He'd say, I hate you, you know, not I'm the boy who's barely but a man. Like, again, there's this is a this is a direction decision here, because I think that once you're editing this. I mean, the question I, I think it really needs to be asked, are, are there better reads by these actors that exist that George made a conscious decision not to use. Or in the case of Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor, is this, is this circus, you know, is this circus so far into its schedule, this three movie thing that you just sit and go, George, you tell me how you want me to do it. Because guess what? When I got, I guess it was, when did she do V for Vendetta before? Here's my point. I think Natalie. All right. So I think that, yeah, because she was doing press for this with the shaved head. I think Natalie Portman is, I don't want to suggest she was just doing the paycheck, but I think, here's what I'm going to propose, Pete. If she had lost her love of Star Wars by the time she's making this movie, then she's like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to give the director everything he wants. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take my pile of money and I'm going to do something else and i'm not going to do something else i'm going to do something else because i'm an actor and that's what i'm gonna, that, that's what i do and somewhere along the way i'm going to go to college and i'm going to like again i think that she I, I i natalie portman is so good in things when she is 10 11 12 years old and she's so good in things when she's 20 21 22 30 35 40 that this is the this is the low point these movies are the low point for her um, and this movie may be the lowest low point. I have to think at a certain point, she's like, 
time to just go do the job that they asked me to do. And later on is when I'm going to sit and go, now I have enough security to be like, yes, I will go do such and such on Broadway for eight weeks. Let's see what that's like as I continue my acting journey. I mean, we all know that Star Wars has never been a place for tremendous performances, although you have McGregor and you have McDiarmid. Um, but we're back to silent movie storytelling in this sequence and really for the rest of the film that is well done. Um, you know, Obi-Wan telling Padme that Anakin has been up to, you know, such no good. And then Anakin's regret, regret on Mustafar there, the, the empty rooms, the slaughtered separatists crying at the moon. Um, it is powerful. It, it does set up what is to come uh, before Obi-Wan stows away on Padme's ship only to have this breaking her heart going down a path she can't follow scene with Anakin that again we're we're belaboring what we've said before there is an actress here that we have empirical evidence can act that does not hear Pete let's just rewind ever so slightly can you explain to me when does a Sith's eyes turn yellow and when do they revert back? <laughs> Tell me, take me through that. When they put the contacts in or do it digitally, that is the exact. <laughs> yeah, because it's all over the place. Who has them when? Dooku never had them, <laughs> probably because. Uh, uh, George, I won't wear those things. <laughs> Get out. Okay. And and right to do so. I think of how goofy he might have looked um, wearing those contacts. Does it work on a certain level that when you're in the height of rage, you have them and when you don't, but then they're inconsistent when they do that. So it, it's not even really worth going down. Darth Maul has them all the time. <laughs> And was the first character we ever saw with them. And then retroactively, uh, the Emperor has them at times. Um, this is the sequence, though, that we've always waited for. We've always waited for Anakin against Obi-Wan, brother against brother, master against student. Had been built up for all those films. We'd been told about it in the original and and to see it go down, I don't know if it was my level of expectation, expectation or just that it's intercut with Yoda and Palpatine that I think lowers the threat of Palpatine with the slapstickish stuff. I mean, Yoda coming in and all right, he he you know, puts the, the Royal guards down immediately. That's one thing, but then he tosses the emperor over the desk there. That's really kind of comical. And now the emperor is this acrobatic character. Um, you know, Ewan McGregor makes the most of what he can 
before the fighting starts. Only a Sith dealing in absolutes is is really sold there. I, I can buy in the perceived jealousy on Anakin's part and and choking uh, his his wife after he's murdered the younglings. That that all tracks. Um, but then you get silly things like in the conference room where Anakin, no lie, Matt, I'm sure you watched it with subtitles too. I've forever noticed his mouth moving. He's saying something they just don't have the audio for. The subtitle says mouthing words (laughs) as he's choking Obi-Wan. I do wonder if the Yoda Palpatine fight is necessary. I mean, it's not. This should have been one big, you know, sequence. You rob it of the of its emotionality to slip back and forth between the two of them. I understand from a story sense, but they should have found another way to make this the big Megillah instead of to share it across two locations and to cut back and forth. The, the irony the is, I was just going to say the Yoda uh, acting, which is to say animation and so forth is just stunningly good in terms of how mm-hmm. it's, how it's rendered. The, just I'll say acting and we can all understand that it's, it, it's an animated uh, situation here, the acting Doesn't that they're Frank getting. Oz have his hand up an animator <laughs> as that happens. That's how I imagine it. <laughs> Regardless, the Yoda stuff is so good that I think that that's a reason maybe to keep it. Um, I, I will mention, by the way, there is one scene where Yoda is self lit by his lightsaber, which you know, again, when they started to do to do that with the sequel trilogy, like it, it looks really, really great. It's so amazing. And we all kind of said, oh, why didn't you do that before? Oh, it's probably a technology thing. Okay, got it. But here they're doing it, but it's only for one of the two people in that battle. You know, and it, okay, fine. There's that. But Pete, here's why I think maybe, f- again, not knowing in what order things were written, shot, made, and so forth, I think maybe the story needs the Palpatine-Yoda fight, even though I'm arguing to get rid of it. Here's why. The Obi-Wan... I know we're supposed to call him Vader, Pete. Okay, he's Anakin to me, okay? Um, but the the Obi-Wan-Anakin fight that starts out so strong with, like, two dudes fighting, you know? And then becomes, like, you know, and now they're, because they've sliced some controls and whatnot, you know, down is up and stuff, and they're, they're falling, and, you know, vertical is horizontal a lot. That's really cool. And there's the lava bits, you know, spewing by them, and that's really evocative. And, like, that's a reason to break up what otherwise could be like six minutes matrix fight, except it's not Kung Fu. It's just swords. So like, let's break it up with some other action, all, all good choices, but it devolves into, they're both standing on floating things in the, uh, lava river here. And I really sensed watching it. I'm like, these are two guys that are just standing still in a gym or in a filming space, you know, in a padded filming space. And they're like both standing on boxes. Nobody's moving. Like they've been told like, stay, stay put. 
so the camera can capture you. And they're going to do all these effects later, and you're going to be floating on a robot and stuff. But it's just two guys standing there, as opposed to, you know, kind of more recent a more recent way of doing this. They'd be on moving platforms, motion controlled platforms, or they'd be on a rig, or they're attached at the waist, or something like that, where they actually have motion to fight against. Instead, you can just sense they're like George is like stay, 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 and attack. Attack, 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 now stay, stay. You can just see these two guys are going. Faster, more intense. Exactly. Like, you can just see, look, Hayden Christensen, maybe not the actor that Ewan McGregor is, but you can just see Ewan McGregor sitting there going, what the hell am I acting to? I'm looking at Hayden. We're in the moment here. We're pretending we're in the fire planet, but I'm just standing here, not moving. They and trained not, so yeah. hard. Hayden Christensen put on significant bulk to do this and and what is this coup de gras sequence matt at times it's windmilling lightsabers at close range then it's uh you know we force magnet one another and and get goofily sent back before they what is set up there is wrecking the shields around the complex so we can have the best part of the duel which is outdoors they're on the pipes they're on the on the balconies that fall into rivers and and then it's chancellor palpatine is evil (laughs) no the jedi are evil from my perspective it's it's not great. You know, the the best duel in Star Wars is in Empire Strikes Back with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. It's cat and mouse. It's an overmatch, yet, you know, it, it ends with such great emotional stakes, the loss of the hand, everything like that, the disclosure of his father's fate. Um Maybe they could never equal that. The immolation scene here with the high grounds, another meme, Matt, we we still use these, <laughs> um, you know, and the emperor coming to retrieve him. It, it just feels rushed. And I think it could have been even more solemn. There, there's a universe in which it was better. Well, and it's funny that you should mention pacing here. I had watched, for the podcast, I had watched the movie in two sittings. And just because of schedule, it was, I think, right after... It was either the the end of Order 66 or Announcement Galactic Empire. That's where I had said, ooh, got to move on to something else in life. I'll finish this, you know, tomorrow. And I was like, wow, Pete was right. This is so great. And then I pick it up again, and it's like, we're escaping Coruscant. No, we're going back to Coruscant. We're this, we're that. Anakin's going here and there, and then now we're going to do the... We're kind of like on the move, on the move, on the move. And then that's that's felt weirdly muddy. And then now all of a sudden it's like, now it's just time to check boxes where it's like, okay, we've had the fight. Maybe it went on too long, whatever. But it's like arms are cut off and I'm going to say goodbye and it's the end. Okay. But I hate you. And I yell at you, but luckily the emperor is coming and look, the emperor is here and he's found him and quick. We got to, you know, we only have 15 minutes left. We got to get him in the Darth Vader suit. Like it just felt like all over there where we slow down and we speed up and it's not, I don't know. I feel like there's pacing issues even down to like 
I guess we're meant to infer that because some of the separatists were the robot makers guild that they have robot maker body parts ready to go or Palpatine the entire time was planning on. Well, this is where general Grievous kind of spells out the, the fate of Anakin and that he's got a heart that he's got a brain in the metal casing that he coughs, but he's a droid. He was the proto Vader. That was the, the visual clue to what we all knew was coming. And Lucas is very, you know, well known for saying, okay, it's, it's not about, you know, showing you Darth Vader murder everybody and going bad that, you know, his identity of Anakin is murdered, uh, that he then goes to the medical center while Padme also at a medical center. And now we intercut these on, uh, Paulus Massa where Yoda's communing with Qui-Gon and, uh, well, she's it, lost the will to live, despite the fact that she has two children to live for. Um, there's so much going on. I, I, again, I yeah. think, particularly since the most recent time I interacted with this portion of the story prior to this viewing was probably the Lego game. And clearly they're not clearly, you know, things like character deaths they handle with a touch of comedy or, you know, all of a sudden the character will be like, they'll walk off the stage. or There'll be things like that where it's, it doesn't have their playing with the potency here so i'm watching this going first of all george really wants uh padme's death and vader's birth vader in the suit you know he wants that so you know where we're, we're going with her five four three two one dead and we're going with him five four three two one alive like oh my like we're we're, we're not letting any exception here to that pacing um so let's just start with that. That felt really pushed in. But I think it can work. It it doesn't always. And there are silly decisions here. You know, the, the dying of a broken heart's not a bad story beat. The way it's carried out is. For reasons we don't know, we are losing her. <laughs> really? <laughs> um. And and then the which, which let's 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 just, again I don't mean to overly beat the the really wonderful take I'd reference at the top of like not specifically a women's healthcare thing but did like you just look, call your take really wonderful no the uh, pardon me the take of the 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 take that that the woman in, in the article I referenced from 2017 like that's okay. a that was a, that's a really that was a neat way to look at an old older movie with new eyes and and you know female eyes and all that. That that's fantastic. Um, and I'm, if anything, I'm giving credit to a previous podcast where I've I've used that theory as well. I, I stand on on the shoulders of of uh, of giants and so forth. But let's let's give two words why she's dying, Pete. She's dying because her man made her really sad. So now she's gonna die. Like. That's where we're, the guy that made Princess Leia, who, again, you know, at her at her lowest. Okay, fine. The the, the many a teenage boy has has not minded Princess Leia's presentation, the beginning of Return of the Jedi. But there she is, a slave woman, and kills one of the worst gangsters in the galaxy in Jabba the Hutt. That the guy that made that character is now oh my man. 
he don't love me anymore and he's done bad things, but I don't believe about about the bad things. He's just a bad guy now. He doesn't love me. The end. That's what we're having. Oh, really, George? Really? We we want to believe this and we want to feel, you know, the, the irony too, Matt, that Carrie Fisher's mother basically died of a broken heart at her daughter's loss. Um, but to have it come across so poorly here and then what did we, we want, we wanted to get to the Darth Vader creation, right. And, and to do that, why would you at times do CGI Vader suit on a table and then other times, you know, have the practical, I, I just feel like it, the, the films do get a knock un, unfairly in that there are physical things. Not everything in these films is CGI, but there's an awful lot that doesn't need to be CGI and having Darth Vader in this sequence laying on a table being computer generated, it it takes you out of what's going on. It it's again not a bad beat to make him a, a Frankenstein monster, have him come off the the table to destroy the room, to awkwardly stand on the the stilts that have been put into his femur for the first time and have the emperor tell him oh yeah in your anger you you killed it seems you killed padme a lie um yeah it just does not coalesce well it's not what we deserved and i think that you're if I may, you're skipping over the thing that in my May 2005 showing, I know people laughed at. And I know that was not George's intention when you get the no, like, okay, I know you want to say no because it's poetry and it mirrors in Return of the Jedi. and But it's a, not only is it just a moment that for whatever reason doesn't land and it makes people laugh, but I would also argue Palpatine we can see how for three movies there's been all these manipulations and Palpatine now has the Sith underling who's not going to try and usurp him because again that's vaguely in the background that like if a Sith underling had an underling well then there's two and they'd overthrow the top guy and all that that's part of George's thinking so like he's got a guy who's so hurt that he's never going to act out and try and overthrow him fine great great stuff here you know you killed padme out of anger game set match now you're a man in the you're a man in the in the mask and i gotcha i don't know that the mournful no like the mournful no looks back to the anakin that he was as opposed to give me james earl jones the most rage-filled scream because now he's now he has nothing but anger I just think it's the it's the wrong line to say no. No looks back, ah, looks to the future, and that sadism that makes him one of the great villains of cinema. Moments before this podcast started recording, Matt was introduced to Backstroke of the West, which is an alternate uh, subtitling of uh, episode three. And the line here, no, is its most iconic translation do not want (laughs) um 
then we also were about to enter like fine the twins have been oh i pete pardon me there's one thing i forgot to mention here okay which is uh which is this so again having not prior to this week seeing this movie and the interaction with the lego cutscenes, which may or may not include the scene i'm about to mention um let, let's rewind to was it this past summer was that when the kenobi series was yes may and june this past summer pete when I saw footage that looked like it was from a Star Wars movie, but I didn't remember, of Yoda saying, you'll be able to commune with Qui-Gon. I was like, when I saw that in the summer in Obi-Wan, I was like, completely, I did not remember that scene. I was completely th thrown for a surprise. The fact that the Kenobi series does stuff with that, and spoiler alert, Qui-Gon, he, he is able to commune with him at the end of the series and all that. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. It is a thousand percent out of place in this movie. This movie is not made in the Disney Plus era of we're setting up a thing so that you can actually, you know, hey, if, if it works, this will go to series and then we get to do that in five years. That is a line that is so out of the blue. Like everybody has just suffered, the, the all these Jedi have suffered the worst imaginable loss. But hey, we need to give Obi-Wan a bone or maybe somebody, the writer, was like, what does Obi-Wan do the entire time? I don't know. We got to give him something to study. So he's going to study talking with Liam Neeson or something like that line should not be there. Thank goodness it is because it worked out well for the Kenobi series. But that is not a Revenge of the Sith scene. That does not need to be here in this movie. He's trying to end it with hope. He's trying to give everybody beyond where we know they wind up some sort of logical departure point you know, but but it's too much. Maybe just, you know, somebody has returned from the netherworld of the force to to help us. He's he's trying to set up the the force ghost, obviously, that Obi-Wan can eventually and, and Yoda become. Um and and then you do things like uh all right, wipe C3PO's brain, because he never remembers any of this, but R2D2, the entirety of the original trilogy knows that Darth Vader is Luke's father and doesn't tell him. <laughs> I think, well, I mean, there's that where I, you know, I think there's a certain, um, I think I'm okay with kind of the existential angst humor of like three PO could have been the most powerful guy in star Wars, but Hey, because Star Wars has a has a thing, you know, where we we uh, underappreciate we the Star Wars people, not like the people who make Star Star Wars characters underestimate the droids. Um, so there's a comedy there to like he could have known everything, but now wipe his memory. I think that works okay, well enough. That works well enough. Not even okay, well enough. That works just fine. Um, Pete, I don't want to fast forward to the last the last last scene on Tatooine here. I don't know if you want to talk first about the funeral, which I think is evocative the death star get, stuff that works you know the gungans back here that boss nass is there that we have a third queen keisha castle hughes who would later be on game of thrones as one of the sand snakes i think is is notable that they've been able to use it in tales of the jedi as a place you know we now know that ahsoka came back to pay her respects this film, the prequels have been made better by content that's come out. It's the reverse of the original trilogy. 
you know, the original trilogy stands as the example and, you know, the things that have come later on have attempted to try to, you know, tarnish it. Um, yeah, there's a weird, I mean, Pete, uh, we've been digging George for the, for his quote here. It works. It's the poetry back and forth here. Um, I overall like, I like the inclusion of, you know, Vader as Vader. There they are on a Star Destroyer watching the construction of the Death Grant Star. Grant Tarkin there with the puppy face. Uh, Pete, a better Grand Moff Tarkin than we will see in the next chronological <laughs> Star Wars movie, which is Rogue One. We'll disagree um, with that one. <laughs> um, maybe Tarkin went through his plastic uh, Botox phase. I don't know. But regardless, I think that the Death Star stuff is good. I mean, it's good. Here's why I think I'm hesitant. There's so much urgency in this, uh, if we may call it an epilogue. Everything after, no, if that's the epilogue, there's such an urgency to tie this to the next movie desperately. This is a tragedy, Pete. This film is a tragedy right? It's the birth of the empire. It's the birth of Vader. It's the birth of oppression. It's the birth of a generation who will grow up saying, I hate the empire. I truly do. But what, you know, what difference can I make? And having that rot of mentality and the fact that Luke Skywalker rejects that mentality and helps overthrow the empire. You know, like there's, there's been this shift here. There should be, I mean, we should feel certain, I mean, look, it's nerd cool, but we should feel kind of like story sadness there's the Death Star, this tool of oppression being built. You know, we're sad at the funeral, right? We're going to take, uh, there's going to be exile. There's going to be hiding. We're going to take the twins. We get the the bittersweet here. Bail Organa has taken Leia. He and his wife always wanted children. They will First take the girl. See Alderaan other than, you know, rubble. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a fine scene. I think you see on Jimmy Smith's face this kind of, you know, like, I've brought a baby home. He's thinking this. He's not saying this. I brought a baby home, but, you know, but Bail Organa knows the the galaxy is in tremendous turmoil. And now there's this little, little beacon of hope at home, but things are deteriorating. I would then say, Pete, if I, if I may, obviously Luke is going to Tatooine with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Fine. The weird way... This scene where Owen's over there and they go and they look at the two sons and we end on having a hope. Pete, the next movie is called A New Hope. End low here. End and sit and go. Bump, bump. In fact, I would argue, Pete, end with the Death Star, right? You want to have the same scene where, oh, there they are. They're starting their own little family. End with the Death Star where you go, crushing repression. And I can go watch A New Hope anytime because guess what, Pete? There is a hope to overcome oppression in the next movie, but not here. This should end on a bad day. And instead, it ends on like, hey, we got a kid and we get to look at the suns now. Happiness. Cut to credits. I hate, hate, hate. I hate you, I say to the end, the tonal end of this movie. I do not like it. No, sir. I I think it's roughly in the place it needs to be. I, I think there's better versions of it that exist someplace that we don't you know, to, to be able to do that, perhaps 
a sunrise as opposed to i mean is it a sunset it, it doesn't seem to move the the brief time that they're they're there uncle owen Amphoro. Oh, that would have been pete i love that i love that that there they are looking at it but then it's the setting sun right the darkness falls on them as they head back into the the dome of the house there that feels like you know what people don't watch sunsets for it to be gone you know what i mean like that that solves it george put that in your special edition you just solved it pete that makes the scene better there you go well maybe matt in our uh shot of blue milk we can discuss that a little further indeed pete you're referencing we're gonna we're gonna extend the conversation a little bit over on patreon uh for uh for this film wondering what we would uh what changes we make if the movie was made brand new today. Pete, that's a discussion for over on Patreon, though. Let's head to the email inbox here first. Uh, Steve Adams uh, says as follows. Uh, hey, guys, I hope this gets to you in time, but I wanted to share some brief thoughts about Revenge of the Sith. Anakin came off like a whiny child in the last movie, and there was less childish dialogue given to his character here, but dialogue was a huge problem for this whole trilogy. The opening sequence was largely enjoyable and a great way to draw viewers in right from the start. Dooku was a very inconsequential character, in my opinion. Thankfully, we have the Clone Wars and Tales of the Jedi to really flesh him out and turn him into a viable threat of the Republic. The same goes for General Grievous. Pete, let me just pause Steve's words here for a moment and say, I have floating around in my head from the commentary track for the first Transformers movie that the... Optimus Prime digital model had like 10,500 pieces to it and how that blew ILM's mind when they realized that's what it would need to do and it would all need to, you know, like all the joints would have to work digitally and it would be able to shift from truck to robot man and all that because the most complex digital character they had done previously was General Grievous who had like 150 moving pieces. So just think about that for one second. General Grievous always looks great in these two films. This comes out in 2005, and he's cutting edge with 150 pieces, and we get over 10,000 pieces, what, a year or two later? I don't know offhand when the first Transformers movie came out, but that's, that's how 2007. So again, so I, I know Grievous' first build and so forth would have been uh, Revenge of the Sith, which would have been, what, 2002? Um, so just, again, a little perspective here on, on how these times there are changing. Anyhow, back to Steve here. Watching this trilogy again after finally watching The Clone Wars gives me a new appreciation for the clones. I believe they are the real heroes of the story from the end of episode two through the tra through to the tragic betrayal. In the animated series, they were frequently more heroic than the Jedi they fought beside. The scene where the clones turn the Jedi is still legitimately heartbreaking to watch. I still don't understand Padme's death scene. feels like George Lucas didn't want Anakin to actually kill her, so he had her just uh, give up the will to live during childbirth. That's Steve's question mark there. Uh, and then he has the Emperor to tell Anakin that he killed her in anger. It sounds like George is trying to tell the story out of both sides of his mouth. Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. It did everything it needed to, even if it was occasionally clunky in doing so. Thanks for all the great content. Until next time, stay fantastic. Pete, that's from Steve Adams. I think he's picking up on a lot of the things we've talked about here, and I, I think a lot of fans do. It is an imperfect masterpiece, if if we may, you know, not in the way that the original trilogy is. And maybe, you know, you can never get back your youth 
there are people that swear by the prequels who are adults now who dislike the sequels. Matt, for me, it goes original trilogy, sequel trilogy, and the prequels are at the kids' table. It is interesting to think that this is the film that in the in the last year this we've re, we've returned to elements of this film in the Kenobi series multiple ways the Anakin flashbacks fine maybe that might have been more uh was that like a post attack of the clones type era but you know so by and large we're referring back to this i think of the grogu in the temple stuff mm-hmm. that we've seen um uh, with Book of Boba Fett, which Pete blows my mind, also was this calendar year. Uh, yep. Asterisk episode one of that was uh, December 29th, 2021. But again, there are problems with this film. This is also part of the foundation of easily two of the three Star Wars series that we've got this year, live action series that we've got this year. Obviously, two Andor being a prequel of the building of the Death Star to a certain degree. There, there's elements of that as well. So, um, Pete, a worthwhile watch, even if sometimes it leaves you saying, I don't like you. Do not want. (laughs) Pete, of course, has mentioned this whole uh, journey through the original trilogy has been made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content like we're talking about recording in just a few minutes so if you're looking for more that's a place to go i can't contribute right now it only takes you a dollar a month to get behind that door and then you can pick other levels uh get over to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review in seconds could not do it without that listener support and pete we have a whole new old original trilogy to be talking about in the new year so how can people be in touch with you to talk about a new hope empire strikes back and return of the jedi you can find me on twitter while it's still there uh at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-l-r-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,652 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. And Pete, though, uh, as mentioned, we'll be talking about the uh, original trilogy the first three Saturdays in January. Just a reminder that uh, in the near future for what remains of December. We'll be talking about uh, the uh, anticipation of Secret Invasion and then, of course, the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer is how we will wrap up the year unless there's some sort of breaking news. So looking forward to discussing all of that content in the near future. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Do it. Do it.